All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. The UFC is coming back to Canada, everybody. It's been gone for 10 years. Now it's back in Vancouver at Rogers Arena, and it's going to be a good one. Saturday, June 10th, championship fight between Amanda Nunez and number five ranked contender Irene Aldana. That's not all. The former champion, Charles Olivier, is taking on the surging number four seed, Benil Dariush. That's going to be a good one. There's some Canadians on the card also. Mike Malott from Burlington, Ontario. My hometown fighter, Jasmine Yasudafius, is going to be fighting. And a couple other Canadians are on the card as well. So check it out. It's going to be a good one. I'll be watching. Tim will be watching. Saturday, June 10th, UFC 289. Don't miss it. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining us here. Monday, Monday, Monday here in June. First Monday in June, Tim. Very exciting. How was your weekend, Tim? You look like you got a haircut. I didn't. I need a haircut. Um, weekend was good. But, John, the people want to know, how is that lawn coming along? Is the grass still coming up? And part two, are the hummingbirds back? Well, I was a little worried about the hummingbirds because I I broke the hummingbird feeder. Unfortunately, why'd you do it? Um, I put the hot, sweet, sweet nectar in there and it was too warm (laughs) and it cracked the bottom out of it. So, you got to make sure you cool down that sweet, sweet nectar before you pour it into the hummingbird feeder because it's all glass. And I should have known this. It's like in in the middle of winter when people think they're like cool or smart and they dump boiling water on their windshield. It's like, oh, this is going to be great. Shatters. I know better. I know this is a thing, but I get so excited to feed these hummingbirds that I just want that sweet, sweet nectar in there as fast as I can get it. And it shattered in my sink. And so I had to get a new hummingbird feeder. And I was a little concerned that they weren't going to come back because these hummingbirds, if they go looking for their sweet, sweet nectar and it's not there, they go looking elsewhere elsewhere for that sweet, sweet nectar. But luckily they came back because apparently my nectar is the sweetest of the sweet, sweet nectar. And they're back. And I was very happy for that. So, yes, the hummingbirds are back after a long winter. Came back to pop a sweet, sweet nectar. And they're loving life. Um, the grass is a little bit less good news. Um, it's about 50 to 60% grass. There's 40% that is not covered. So now I got to call the excavating company and find out what kind of grass seed they used 
because you don't want to mix and match that, Tim. You know, you don't want a different color, different type of grass. That's Joker stuff. I'm going for primo stuff up there. So it's, it's okay. It's okay for right now, but it could be better. The other thing um, that we never really got closure on, you said you were going to tweet out a picture of your dumpster fire, and we never saw that. Nope, didn't do it. I should do that. Um, I will try to wrap that up after the show. But, I, I you know, life hap- life comes at, at you fast after these podcasts. I'm just busy, busy, busy. So I'll try to take that, take care of that after this show. I'll send out a picture of that dumpster fire. But that's, you know, all been rectified. Everything's back on the up and up. I had a conversation with the fire marshal. There's a couple potential reasons. Um, The main culprit could be there was windows in the dumpster and they magnified the sun. And that in turn either set some sawdust on fire or it set an aerosol can and it combusted. It's a mystery. Someone might be trying to burn down my house. I don't know. Not good. If I still live in Traverse City, would you think I'd be suspicious? You're suspicious wherever you are. You're just one of those guys that goes without saying, right? No, but I get it. I get it. Anybody, I'm not even going to go down that road because I don't want to insult you um, in front of our listeners. It's, It's not a good look. We'll save it for off the air. Your weekend was good, though. Can we move on to hockey or do you want to talk about anything? Get anything off your chest? Uh, Nothing to talk about. Yeah, let's talk hockey. Game one of the Stanley Cup Finals in the books. Vegas Golden Knights come out on top five to two. What did you think of the game, Tim? Because I, I have a lot of feelings about this. I feel like people, that's what I do. I ask you a question, then I talk for five minutes. What did you think of the game? I want to know reaction right away so I can just rebut it. You do that to guests, too. Or you do I? Like, like three minutes to ask the question. Just question, 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 question. Um. I watched the whole game. Vegas played very well. Both teams played well. And they they talked on the broadcast about like <clears throat> the nine days off of Florida, nine or 10 days. How did that 10. impact? Yeah. It's usually um, the passing, the timing that it has, it shows itself the most also the legs a little bit. And as you know, like if you're a little bit more tired, if you're a little bit more slow than the other team, that's when you start taking more penalties. And that's what happened in this game. None of them were like super egregious, but you're talking seven to three in penalties in, in minor um and Florida and Vegas scored two power play goals. They won by really two two goals. They had one empty netter at the end. Vegas looked really good. I think Vegas probably, even though it was two to two after two, it felt like Vegas was outplaying them by a good margin. So, not a huge surprise. It's it's game one. It's at home. Florida had a long time off. You had just about the right amount of time off with four games compared to Florida's ten. So, um, yeah, I thought it was a good game. Good good opening draw there. What do you think? Yeah. It, it... It kind of went as expected. I did pick Vegas to win. Um, They are the better team on paper. They proved it in game one. I do think this is going to be a seven-game series, though. I feel like people are already writing off the Florida Panthers for whatever reason. Just because of the score, 5-2, it's a really lopsided win when you look at it just from not even watching the game, maybe. But Florida played good. You know, I think all of the goals that Vegas got are fixable. If you're Paul Maurice and you're heading back into the locker room after that game, I'm not upset. You know, you went down to the Bruins, you lost to them. You came back and you were fine. I I don't mind Florida's game. 10 games is a lot of time to be off, especially in the playoffs, especially going into the Stanley Cup finals. You're coming out 
this is a lot of these guys this is their first time playing in a Stanley Cup final. They're going to be buzzing. Their mind's going to be racing a mile a minute. And for them to have pretty good composure. Yes, I know they took a couple of uncharacteristic penalties. I don't mind that. They're being aggressive. They're getting another forecheck. There's scrums. It was a very physical game. That's Florida's game. But man, I might be re like it, after picking Vegas and for them to win the first game five to two, I might, I might think Florida is the favorite now just off of that game. I think every one of Vegas's goals is fixable. Anthony Duclair directly the result for two goals for Vegas botched defensive coverage at the point on the first one, just a, a terrible screen on the second one. Matthew could chuck a bad turnover up the middle. Mark stone. Well, we'll get into all these goals. And then the Chandler Stevenson goal out to Marshall in front. All of these are kind of fixable goals. Bobrovsky played really good. None of the goals were his fault. He screened on two. the backdoor tap in is just unsavable. And then Mark stones going shelf when he didn't even know he was going to shoot it. I don't mind Florida's game. They hit three or four posts. They get absolutely robbed in the crease. Cousins had a tap in and Hill makes just a biggest miracle save I've ever seen. But it is the best feeling I could think of for a team that just lost five to two going into the locker room after losing the first game of the Stanley Cup finals. They have they have to be feeling okay. And I love Paul Maurice's interview after the game. He's like, just re- just relax. And he spiced it up with some language, but he goes, just relax. That is why, and I, and I kind of harp on it a little bit, and maybe I, I downplay it a little bit. I make fun of it about the old, old boys club, and you're just going in and picking a ping pong ball out of the hopper. Okay, our coach is this guy now. It's Laviolette, it's Gerard, it's this guy, it's that guy who have been around the block. This is why you get a veteran coach. This is what a veteran coach brings to the organization and to the team. The coaches do the interviews at the end of the game, not for the press, not for the media, not for the fans. They do it for the players. They know the players are going to be listening very intently to what they have to say. So he goes up to that podium and he says, you know what? We're fine. Just relax. It's one game. We'll be fine. Contrast that to the Denver Nuggets coach who went up there and just ripped his team apart after game two. How do you think the players are going to respond to both of those interviews? The Denver Nuggets players are going to be pissed at their coach. They're not going to want to come to the, the what do they call it, a stadium? The arena the next day, they're going to be upset. The Panthers players, they hear that. They read about it. They're fine. They're going to come back the next day. They're going to be hungry. They're going to want to come and play for this coach who has their back and just say, we're fine. We've been here before. After Christmas this year, we were like 26th place in the NHL. 26 out of 32. We were almost dead last we squeaked into the playoffs. No one has given us a chance in any series. We've been the underdog for three consecutive series, four now with the Stanley Cup Finals. We're fine. I trust my team. We'll be good. I want a coach who does that. I don't want a coach who comes up there and just points out all of our faults. Maybe if you lose the next couple, he has to maybe light a fire under you. But I just love that. I think Florida's fine to him. I think they come back and win the next game, and then we got ourselves a seven-game series. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I actually thought um, I, I picked Florida to win the series and I said Vegas is going to win game one and they did. And and Florida lost game one against Boston, too. They were down three to one. You know what I mean? Like they are calm. And as um, George Richards men- mentioned last week, like they're so just relaxed through adversity, through like any situation. It doesn't matter. So, yeah, I, I don't see anything, any reason to discount them in any way, even though they lost five or two in game one. And as we always say, the series hasn't even started yet. So. Um, let's, let's break down some X's and O's from the game, John. What were your, some of your takeaways? 
Well, the ideal start for well, let's talk about the referees because that's a big point of this game, especially after game one. Vegas gets a huge power play disparity. The first penalty they took was just a joke of a penalty. Sam Bennett gets an Aiden Hill, gives him a little shove. Aiden Hill jumps up, punches Nick Cousins in the face, who's just getting hogtied by Jack Eichel. Nick Cousins gets the penalty. He wasn't even involved in the play. He gets two minutes for roughing when the guys who should have got the penalties just got nothing. So strange call there. Florida gets a shorty. And this will be a theme in this playoffs. Not the penalties, not this and that. Aiden Hill is a very aggressive goalie. And this is what Florida has to do. You need to make him pay for his aggressiveness. Pump fake, wait him out, wait him out, then he's out of play. It happened on the Nick Cousins almost goal. It happened on the Mark Stoll, uh, Eric Stahl goal. It happens quite a bit. Henrik Lundqvist mentioned it, I think, pregame or postgame. It's a well-known thing that Aiden Hill is an aggressive goaltender. And Florida needs to do this. Either shoot it off his uh, weak side pad, look for backdoor passes, or just wait him out. And he slides himself right out of position. So Eric Stahl comes in, fakes a shot, and not even quickly wraps it around. Eric Stahl is 38 years old. He's not ripping around the net super duper fast. He just casually circles the net, realizes it's wide open, and goes, okay, I'm going to tuck it in. So first goal, they get a shorty. Good start for Florida. After a lackadaisical start, they're obviously shaking off the rust. You mentioned the 10 days off. The first thing to go when you're out that long is your hands. I know they practice and they probably do some inter-squad scrimmages. It's not the same as getting live action. Their hands are rusty. It was a good start for Florida. But I think all in all, the first and second period, Vegas was the better team. Don't you think? Even in, into the third period when Florida was playing from behind, they kind of re- reverted back to that, I don't want to say goon squad, but Gudis and Kachuk and Bennett, they really just kind of lost their composure and went for it. But as a whole, do you think Vegas carried to play the whole game? Me, not totally, like to the point where they <clears throat> they weren't dominant or anything. They weren't dominating, they, yeah. But they did, yeah, they did carry the play. And I think like you you watch like some of the, the little passes they were making, the way that they were connecting, the way that they were chasing through on the on the uh, dump ins and everything in a way that Florida wasn't. Um, it just it just didn't seem like the same Florida team we said for all the reasons we mentioned. So I'm not that concerned about it. But yeah, Florida Vegas was better in game one. Now, does this Florida change the way they play? Because playing the physical game is their MO. That's who they are. Kind of hurt them this game. It took a bunch of penalties, needless penalties, maybe. But do you see them changing things up for game two? No, you can't. This is what got you here. And and I mean, no. And I, I would think like as these series progresses, as it goes a little bit later, the refs are going to be more and more hesitant to to call penalties and blow the whistle, whether it's during the play or after the after the whistle. So you can't do it. This is this is your mo. This is this is how you beat Carolina. This is how you beat Toronto and Boston. You you can't change a game now just because Vegas is maybe a little bit better matched to um to face it. Because I love Petrangelo was asked about some of the stuff he did after the whistle and some of the face washing and pokes and stuff that he's getting slashed all game. And he's like, watch the tape. It happens every series. It's happened to me in every series so far. This is no different. I'm ready. I'm ready to face it. So they're well prepared. But no, if you're Florida, you got to keep doing what you're doing. Just be careful because you like you, you play against the edge and occasionally you're going to cross it and get some penalties. And I heard him in game one for sure. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that it is their high-end guys who are the main, you know, culprits when it comes to after the whistle shenanigans. It's Kachuk, it's Bennett. Those guys love getting their noses in there, but you'll see the whistles will be put away soon. You know, game one, the referees try to set the tone. This is this is how this series is going to go. We're going to take one guy. That's what a ref does when he goes into a scrum. He just starts screaming usually, I'm taking one guy, who's it going to be? 
The players get all nervous because they don't want to put their man down a man, and they usually stop. This will happen for game one. This will happen for maybe game two. Once game three hits, and this is consequential games, and the Stanley Cup's going to be awarded soon, the refs don't want to be the guy who's, who's going to decide a Stanley Cup champion. They really don't. As much as they like Wes McCauley doing his silly fighting or roughing, or like he, he's the star of the show, they don't want to decide a Stanley Cup championship. So the whistles are going to be put away eh, midway through the second, definitely in the third game. The penalties are going to go from seven to three, and they're going to go to two to two to one. Tim, there there will not be penalties in the third or fourth game. It's just going to be a five on five battle, which kind of benefits Vegas because they got a great five on five team. But let's just break down some plays because there was some amazing plays that took place in this game. First, we'll start off. The game is, I believe, 1-1 at the point. And Nick Cousins gets a cross-ice pass from Matthew Kachuk. He's standing in the crease. Toes touching the red line of the crease. Aiden Hill, once again, nowhere to be found. Like, he is gone. Not even in the play. Peter Rangelo's on Cousins' hip on the backside. But he's all alone. Kachuk puts it right on Cousins' tape. Everybody's just praising Aiden Hill for a save. I agree. Fantastic save. Will go down as a save of the playoffs. An unbelievable, just comes back, throws his blade out, hits the heel of his stick. What I don't like is Nick Cousins was already celebrating before Aiden Hill makes a save. You watch it. Everybody's talking about Hill's save. Aiden Hill is circling away, already starting to celebrate. If he stays in the fight, it's it's another tap in because the puck comes directly back to him, but he's already starting to turn away. You have, you got it's game one of the Stanley Cup finals. You walk that puck into the net. You make sure it crosses the blue line. If Florida scores there, it's a completely different game. It's it's the amount of momentum that Vegas gets from that save is insane. But yeah, you you have to finish when you get those chances. I don't know if you've seen the goal. I'm sure you've seen it a dozen times. I'm watching Cousins this whole time. He gets his first shot. Fine. He starts to circle away. He's already going to go celebrate with Matthew Kachuk. It's like, make sure you finish the goal, Nick. Come on. What did you think of this, Tim? You're totally right. I didn't catch that. I've been watching it now while you were talking. And he, he not only does he not follow through the rebound, but he doesn't even get everything on the shot because his, his shoulder is already shifting away to celebrate. And so maybe if you leaned into it, he doesn't make the save or the rebound goes your way. You know what I mean? You're right. I did not catch that at all until you pointed it out. But that's pretty. <laughs> it's not good, man. You got to bury it. And then another play, a very controversial play. Mark Stone. The game is two to two or it's three to two. Sorry, two. Vegas is winning its third period. Matthew Kachuk, terrible play. You're, you're taught this in minor hockey. You never make a play through the middle in your defensive zone, especially if it's a weak play. He haphazardly flips the puck through the D zone, trying to get it out of his zone. Mark Stone knocks it down. Great hand-eye. Everybody in the NHL at this point has impeccable hand-eye. I don't know why you think you can flip it through any zone, let alone your defensive zone when they're forechecking you and think it's not going to get knocked down unless it's 30 feet in the air. Mark Stone knocks it down, doesn't even handle it, Tim. This is a beautiful thing about this play. I love that he knocks it down. Great. A lot of people can do that. Not a lot of people can do the second part where he just roofs it, doesn't dust it off, doesn't settle it down, doesn't handle it at all. Everybody has that 
instinct to get the puck and do a quick stick handle to get it in the spot that they like to shoot it. He doesn't do that. He literally knocks it down and goes roof with it. Bobrovsky has no time at all to set himself up. He's not ready for a shot. He's watching Matthew Kachuk. He's like, oh, it's going to get flipped out. I can have a little breather. Boom. Knocks it down back of the net. Unbelievable goal. Now, was it high stick? Everybody's up in arms. The refs reviewed it. Not a high stick. Fantastic call. The rule is, per the book, the puck cannot be higher than the player's shoulder when they're standing straight up. That's it. Not during play, not when he's lunging, not when he's knocking a puck down and diving, when he's standing straight up. Anywhere away from the net. Around the net, it's the post if you're tipping in front of the net. It's the crossbar then. If you're away from the net, it's your shoulders. And it's clearly below his shoulders when he's standing straight up. Good call, good goal, terrible play by Matthew Kachuk. Just a world-class play from Mark Stone. In a span of 20 minutes, we saw probably the best save in the playoffs. And we saw probably the best goal in the playoffs that we'll see. Other than Barkov's, that was a pretty incredible goal that he made in the overtime there. It was a game three. It's a, it's a great goal. And it's it's typical Mark Stone, Tim. The guy's a defensive stalwart. He goes defense to offense better than any forward that I know. And that's what he did. He played it, made a terrific defensive play and turned it into offense and buried the goal. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I, I watched this live and I thought for sure that it was high sticking because it looks it looks like high sticking. He almost has it over his head, but he's leaning in a way that it isn't very high. And so it's only probably four feet off the ground, but it looks deceiving. And as much as any I can any goal I can remember there, it looks like it's high sticking, but it's not. And you're right. You nailed that. Mark Stone, that's what he does. Like he's done this for years and he does this. He's done it really well this entire postseason. Certainly in this game, I have some stats here. He played just under 21 minutes, 2055. Had a goal, seven shots, two takeaways, zero giveaways. He was on the ice for four of Vegas's goals and only one goal against. And his goals four percentage was expected goals four percentage was first in the entire team, both teams. Like that's that's if Mark Stone does that for another game or two, like how do you how do you beat that? He's just doing everything. He's an elite player. Like he is an elite player, and this is what Vegas has that Florida doesn't. They have multiple elite elite players. Florida has won. Everybody knows who he is. Everybody keys on him. It's Matthew Kachuk. Barkov. Yeah, Barkov is good, but he hasn't really produced to the extent that guys in Florida or uh, Vegas have. Jack Eichel's having a great series. I know he hasn't isn't scoring lately. He's facilitating. He's getting up in the play. Barbashev's playing fantastic. He looked like he was shot out of a rocket every time he was on the ice last night. He was burying guys. His reverse hit on uh, oh, who was it in Florida? But he buries him. Absolutely buries him. And then Jonathan Marchestow, after a slow start to this playoffs, he didn't get any goals versus Winnipeg. I think he got skunked the first couple games versus Edmonton. He's gotten 10 goals in the last 11 games. Don't look now, but he's leading the league in goal scoring. Like the guy's playing fantastic. So Vegas has options other than Mark Stone. And it just is a bonus that Mark Stone is just killing it right now. You could throw two lines and not, let's not forget William Carlson, who is also an assassin who just happens to be playing a game and playing defense. Like it's a ah, Vegas is just very, very good. So that being said, all things aside, they got Marshall. So they got this, or they got that Florida can correct these mistakes. You sit down, Anthony Duclair, you say, Hey, go through the guy at the point. Don't be playing, you know, touch, butt with the guy at the point, you, you blow through him. You're not looking at the puck. Oh, get out of the goalie's way when the guy's shooting from the point. We don't want to screen him. And if you do screen him, you have to block that shot. 
That's all we do. And on the goal, when uh, Chandler Stevenson fires it out the Marshallstow, you just tell those two defensemen to don't chase a guy behind the puck, behind the net who has the puck. He's not going to score from behind the net. So they are correctable mistakes. That was Theodore's first goal. That was White Cloud's second. They're not going to replicate that. This is just like aberrations. So I fully believed him that this game goes to seven. I think Florida picks up the next one. I think they split in Florida. I hope. I, I don't. Th- I should say I don't think. I, I hope because it was such a very entertaining first game that I want to see them go to seven. Florida deserves to to, put, to get some better results. So the amount of posts that they hit, the amount of empty nets they didn't hit. I don't know. It was a good game for me. Yeah, me too. And I wonder, like, even though Bobrovsky let in four goals, it didn't really feel like he played a bad game either. He made some big saves too. So Florida will be back. Um, yeah, they'll be back. But Kachuk won't do that stupid turnover again. Duclair will be better. So I think you're right. I think it does go seven. I think Florida wins game two. All right, let's move on to some other stuff. Um, we got a voicemail, Tim. Very exciting. If people want to call in, we'll give you the number at the end of the show. We're getting tons of them. We'll pick one every couple days or so, and we'll play it. But it's fun. It's nice. What does this guy have to say, Tim? Or All girl. Right, I don't know. It could be a girl. I'm bringing it up here. We have lots of female fans, by the way. We get tons of letters saying, is Tim still single? We want to date Tim. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Hey, guys. This is Chris from Atlanta. I just want to know about the difference between fighting against someone that did your team wrong and someone that did yourself wrong. And I want to know about the difference between fighting when it's personal versus when it's against the team. Thank you. I think the the message there is like, if you're standing up for a teammate versus someone that, that wrongs you, how does that? Yeah, I guess it's, it's one and the same really, because if you're really, (laughs) <laughs> I, I guess if you're super selfish, there's a difference, but I never really had a difference between fighting for myself or fighting for my team. If I saw someone do something against my team, I actually was more angry than it would be if you did something to me. Like if, if I saw you hit someone from behind or slashing somebody, then I'm really going to kill you. But if you slash me or hit me or whatever, I, I'm not too upset about it. But yeah, I, I don't know if it's different for other guys, but if you tried to hit, or hurt one of my teammates, I was going to end your life. So that's just how I was. That, and I tried to. Well, I was going to say, there's not probably not that many people antagonizing you directly anyway, right? Like who's going to throw you a face wash or a slash? And it's the small guys who won't do anything. So it was always yeah. the rats who would do it, like the Brad Marchands. And I'm like, get out of my face. You know, you're not going to do anything. Or the swatting away. Yeah. yeah. It's like, just go away. The Zach Ronaldo's. So I'm like, you're not going to fight me, Zach. So why are you even talking to me? But anyway, so let's get some quick hits because there's some big news other than the Stanley Cup finals. There are some massive seismic moves that are happening or will happen the next few days. The first of which Mike Babcock is making his return to the NHL. He is supposedly reportedly most likely signing with the Columbus Blue Jackets. He can't sign the contract yet because he's still technically under contract with the Toronto Maple Leafs, but he will sign it at the end of the month when he is a free agent as a coach. And he is joining the Columbus Blue Jackets with some good players, Tim. He's got Johnny Gaudreau. He's got Patrick Laine. They got a high draft pick coming up this draft. Good choice for the Columbus Blue Jackets to bring in Mike Babcock. And is Johnny Gaudreau just can't catch can't catch a break. Gets away from Daryl Sutter. Now he's running it to Mike Babcock. It's probably worse. It's probably a worse situation for him. I was thinking about that because he was close to signing in like New Jersey and Philly. He could be playing with Jack Hughes right now. And instead he's running into Mike Babcock. And I think, yeah, 
that is not his ideal situation. Whether it's the right move for him, maybe. It's probably it reminds me a little bit of Torts and Philly, where you have an organization that's sort of lost. They're they're not so bad that they're like helpless or hopeless, but they're also not good enough to really even contend for a playoff spot. They're sort of in the middle somewhere. I know Columbus had a bad lottery pick this year, but they're not always this bad. And so they're they're sort of teetering in no man's land. And and you want like an old veteran, no nonsense coach to be the one to shake that loose and give the team a little bit of direction. And then, but in on a short term, you know, like you have him for two years, he rides the ship, then you bring in the coach who's going to be the guy. Is it, is it going to work out? I mean, who knows? What does success look like for this team? Like they're not going to compete for a playoff spot, right? So like, how do you know whether bringing him in is, was the right move? Do you look at the stats? Do you look at the wins? Do you look at the contracts and the players are able to bring in? Like, what's the best outcome for these guys? Yeah, you hope they take the next step. The Eastern Conference is obviously deep. There's a lot of talent there. They they don't have a good roster. Let's just call a spade a spade. They They have a lot of holes especially up front, they're very, very weak. Back end, there's, again, there's a lot that a lot of work that needs to be done. They don't have very, very much talent. Zach Orensky, he's been injured. Hopefully he can come back. The terrible contract to good Branson. It's a work in progress. You're hoping that Babcock can come in and just do better. <laughs> I don't know if he can. He's been out of hockey for a few years. He's a good coach. Listen, he did well in Detroit. He's done well internationally. We'll see what he can do here. This is probably one of the tougher jobs to take over right now because they're going to spend to the cap. The expectations are there. They have two first rounders this year. Hopefully they can parlay that into a good player who's just impact right away. I don't know. I don't know if this is the most sought after job. It's strange that he's getting getting the keys to this team. Maybe he didn't have any other options and he wants back in the NHL. We'll see where it goes, but I don't see this team making the playoffs next year, Tim. I, I really don't. They have a lot of money to spend. They got a couple first rounders, high end first rounders, but I, I don't see good things on the horizon for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Another big one, big extension that was just announced. Montreal Canadiens, Cole Caulfield signs an eight year, $7.85 million contract to stay in Montreal for his prime. He's 22 years old right now. This is going to carry him to his 30-year-old year. Just eliminates UFA, eliminates his RFA questions. He's locked up long-term. Kent Hughes, the GM for the Montreal Canadiens, former agent, nails this one, in my opinion. Absolutely crushes it. I know Cole Caulfield hasn't played a full season. He's been out of the lineup. Lots of question marks about him. Five foot seven, 160 pounds. Can he play the NHL type of game? Our top two players now are both under six foot. Nick Suzuki, are we going to be able to compete with the big boys in the East? I love this move. This is a good, exciting player. He's going to put up some goals. I think he's Alex Dabrinkit. He's going to put, score 40 goals if you put him with a guy who knows how to get him to the puck in the right spot. That's all you want. He's going to make less than $8 million, Tim, for eight years. This contract is going to look like a steal in about five years. He'll be paid fairly next year. If he can stay healthy, it'll be a great deal in three. It'll be a steal in five. What do you think of this deal, Tim? Good for the Canadians? Uh, yeah, great deal. Love this deal because he's going to keep getting better. We talked about it before the show. He just he scores everywhere he's been, and he's handed, he's done really well, especially since Marty St. Louis. Martin came back into the, the, the team. So, yeah, he looks really good. And you look at some of the comparables, and he's actually in pretty good company. There's a lot of good young players making this mount, which is why we kind of said, like, why wouldn't he ask for more? But he's making the same as a um, 
Nick Suzuki, first of all, like same exact contract pretty much. But you also have Quinn Hughes making the same. You have um, Svechnikov making about the same. You have Jason Robertson making about the same. Pedersen making about the same. So it's it's pretty comparable group young there, a group of young players right there. Yeah, Great those talent. are all really good, really good contracts too. All of those guys. But it just this is Montreal's team now. These are the two guys that they're putting all their eggs in. This is it. Suzuki and Caulfield. This is your team. <laughs> Do you necessarily like that your top two guys are under 5'11"? Probably a buck 80 soaking wet for Nick Suzuki. They're not physically imposing. Can they win a Stanley Cup team? Tim, do you have faith in these two guys to take that next step? Because it's good. You know, they're they're good players. Nick Suzuki has shown when healthy, he's an elite, elite sentiment. Maybe. His highest point total is 66 points last year. Is that elite? I don't think so. Cole Caulfield, when he's healthy, he's shown he's an elite forward. He's on average for 46 goals if he stays healthy last year. But he didn't stay healthy. Do you think these guys? Well, I want to compare them to the New Jersey Devils. I was going to say you love the yeah. Devils. Yeah, very similar type players, very similar type team, young, fast, small. Do you think these guys have what it takes, Tim? I know it's a loaded question. We don't know a lot about these guys. Can they succeed in today's NHL? Can they? Sure. Yeah, I mean, like you, you've seen, you saw it with the Devils, and no one thought him, Jack Hughes, and Jesper Bratt would be the guys leading them in the charge. And this is a very similar, probably, um, comparison. So yeah, sure they can. It's all about surrounding talent, it's about goaltending, it's about the back end, and you got to have someone in the lineup who doesn't need to spark fear, but at least needs to like stop other players from running Suzuki and Caulfield through the wall every chance they get. Whether that's like a big, strong defenseman, like a I don't know Edmondson or Savard, who aren't really fighters, but they're physical enforcer guys, or whether you find some tough guys up front to protect these guys a little bit. Even in today's fast-paced NHL, you still want to have some kind of way of protecting those players. And I think that's one of the things that um, New Jersey got exposed for in the playoffs was not having those things. So I think I think yes, they can be um, successful. Yeah, I don't know. I might take some flack for this. People like the new style of play. I just look at the teams in the finals right now. Jack Eichel, 6'2", 200, 210. Um, Mark Stone, 6'3", 210. Alexander Barkov, 6'3", 215, 220. Matthew Kachuk, 6'2", 220, 230. Those are men. Those are manly bodies. Sweet, sweet manly bodies. These are boys. You know what I mean? And I just think when it comes down to brass tacks and you're going in the corner, when you're battling for a puck, (laughs) I'm... I'm putting my my money on Barkov or Kachuk or Stone or Eichel. Even though Eichel doesn't play a physical game, he's got a man's body. You can tell when he protects the puck, it's hard to get the puck off him. He doesn't just have to rely on his speed, which Caulfield and Suzuki do. Yes, they have hands. Yes, they can maybe win a battle every now and again. They're small. They're undersized. I think you need that size. And yeah, I know they have Anderson. Anderson's not the leader of their team. This is Suzuki and Caulfield's team now. And for what it's worth, I'm old school. I like my centermen, my top guys to be bigger. That uh, It is what it is. Call me a sizist. Everybody knows my, my thing for height. I love myself with Tage Thompson. Give him the C right now. It's a good deal. He's making 7.875 for the next eight years. He will outperform this contract. I don't think they win the Stanley Cup with these two guys. And strict, it's strictly based on their size. Whatever you want me to. Call me whatever you want. I I think if I'm picking guys, top two guys, 
out of the three I just mentioned, three teams, obviously Montreal legs behind, and they all make comparable amounts of money. Yeah, I mean, it's fair enough. But if you're Ken Hughes bringing this back, like your choice is either sign him or don't sign him, right? Like you have to sign him. You don't have a choice of bringing in like, oh, let's go get this other guy instead. He's your guy. You drafted him. He's part of the team. And now he's part of the the core for eight years. So not not really in his hands, right? Not a choice he's making to sign him over somebody else. Well, they went for size last draft and they pick up the big guy from the the Slovakia. Jurja? Juraj? Uri, yeah, I don't know. Uri Slikovsky. We should just stick with his last name, Slikovsky. He's 6'3", 240 pounds, a big boy, supposed to be the next Yager. Maybe he pans out, and he's the guy. And these guys can be your secondary supplemental scoring. We'll see how it pans out for the Montreal Canadiens. But like you said, it's a great deal. I love it. But I'm more of a big thinker. I'm like, okay, can these guys win me a Stanley Cup? You know, I don't think they can. You, you got to surround them. Maybe when they free up some space, if you can get ever get out of Brendan Gallagher's just albatross of a contract, free up some money that way, get rid of Josh Anderson, even though he's super big, that's a little $12 million. You can free up between those two guys. And then you bring in some size. Then you bring in a young kid who's maybe six foot three, six foot four, and he can be your first line center. So it doesn't fall on Nick Suzuki or Christian Dvorak or Jake Evans. Oh, they got Kirby Doc. That guy's got some size. So you know what? I might retract my statements because Kirby Doc's one tall son of a gun. I like the way he stands, if you know what I'm saying. He's six four, six five. But anyways, back to the contract. Good contract. Great job for Ken Hughes. He's having a good offseason so far with the draft around the corner. And they have some capital, Tim, coming up in this draft. They have two first rounders, one second rounder, a bunch of fourth and fifth rounders. They could do some damage. In this year's draft. But anyways, what else are we talk about? Anything else, Tim? Connor Bedard won the triple crown in the CHL, winning the player of the year, top scorer, and top draft pre- prospect in the same season. Never been done before. Not McDavid, not Crosby, not anyone else, not McKinnon. So pretty cool for him. I don't know how, like who won one of those awards over McDavid? You know, maybe I don't know. I know. I how would, does he do not win? Maybe he didn't win top score. Yeah. I feel like that's the only one he probably wouldn't win, right? No, he had to. Uh, you think like so? Because I feel like points. there's like some 20 year old who then why wouldn't he win all of them? Because he definitely won top prospect. Yeah, maybe not top player. I don't know. Maybe it was some defenseman or a goalie or something, you know. Um, but anyway, either way, cool for Bedard. Really, really special. And yeah, we're only a couple of weeks away from him finding his home in Chicago officially. Are you Did you hear all the horses dying? At the horse tracks. Did you hear about this? They're not this doing races riddle? at one of the big uh, horse tracks because these horses are just dying. Is this a riddle? No, it's an actual thing. I don't know why I just thought of it when you're talking about Bedard, but all these horses are dying, like at these high-end racetracks, like the Preakness or some other one. Belmont, that's where it was, Belmont. I think 15 horses died like last weekend, so they're not doing races there anymore. Crazy. That is crazy, John. Did you hear about that? No. That was almost like a Chris Farley skit when he's interviewing like Ringo Starr or Paul McCartney. Yeah. Wasn't that awesome? Do you remember <laughs> do you remember Beatlemania? <laughs> was that did, awesome? Did you like that? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what it was like. But no, check it out. Those horses are dying. I don't think I don't think they probably take care of them that way. I don't know, because they're worth millions. Why would they just all of them are getting their ankles broken or tearing a ligament. And then they just two to the head. You know what I mean? Why not just like. They take really good care of them until they don't have a use for them anymore. But you think they'd let them stud. 
They do. They do. But they kill him on the racetrack, Tim. I'm just going to choose to believe that that, that doesn't happen. Keep they my bring the curtains on. out and they kill him right on the racetrack. That's what they've done. When are you getting that horse? I thought you guys were all going to get one together. Oh, the girls want one really, really bad. And I just, no, we're not doing it. It's I can barely grow my grass. Like, you think I'm going to take care of a horse? All my friends, it's funny. When we first got our property, and if you want to talk about hockey and want to listen to hockey, it's not going to happen in the next five minutes. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. All my, like, even myself included, when we got this property, it was like, we're going to get chickens. We're going to get some goats. We're going to get some animals and we're going to have like a farmstead. It's going to be great. My friends did it a few years before I did. It's awful. It is awful, awful, awful. And I have one friend who has like endless amounts of cash and he does, he does turkeys. He does chickens. He does fruit trees. He does bees. He does all this great stuff. It seems like a, such an incredible amount of work. And the benefit is, I just take their eggs because that's all I really wanted. I like, I eat a lot of eggs, Tim. I'm like Gaston. I eat a ton of eggs. You know the song Gaston from Beauty and the Beast? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like Gaston. I eat a ton of eggs and I just get the the free range eggs from them. I can't eat store eggs anymore. That's how spoiled I am. If I, if I get a store bought egg, I'm like, this taste, this tastes wrong. There's nothing better than a free range chicken egg. It tastes so much better. The yolks are so much creamier and yellowy. The whites are so much whiter. It's delicious. The sweet, sweet nectar of that yolk when it hits my lips. And it We're just leaving explodes. That behind. We're leaving that the, term behind. The yolk just drizzles down my chin sometimes. And I just wipe it off. And I, it's delicious. I make a mean, mean egg sandwich. I put a little pesto sauce on my baguette. Croissant. Pesto sauce on both sides. Cheddar cheese. Shredded. Egg, egg over easy put it back on the cast iron skillet and then i just quickly fry both sides so the croissant is a little bit you know got some heft to it it hardens it up a little bit it toasts it it's delicious it's like the secret is the pesto tim the pesto sauce i do buy that from costco actually i like i i'm like new to this but like i um make uh hash browns and so, like, I'll do it myself, like, handmade, actually do it in the air fryer and, like, take all the steps. It just tastes so good. It tastes like I'm eating out. And I'll put that between a tortilla with eggs and cheese, sometimes bacon or sausage if I have it, fry it on both sides to make it all melty and crispy on the outside. Unbelievable. It's so, it's so good. I'm sorry. You, you ruin every story I tell. Okay. <laughs> you can talk about one breakfast sandwich. <laughs> knock, knock. <laughs> all right everybody anything else tim uh actually you want to hear something funny yes Um, this this girl i went out with last year oh okay i like where this is going yeah like probably exactly a year ago something like that um we the whole time she was talking about she was like regurgitating like facebook stuff that uncles say of like do your own research about this and that and like be a free thinker. They're just shoving lies down your throat. And she said the COVID was created in a lab in Raleigh, North Carolina, like all this wacky stuff. And she was just basically like, just don't be a sheeple, like think your own thoughts, all this stuff. And I was like, okay, I'm never talking to you again. Fast forward a year right now. Guess what she's doing right now on Instagram? I don't know. Influencer. Cool. She's trying to be, she's in a pyramid scheme selling makeup and uh, essential oils. 
the free thinker entrepreneur who's got a bigger brain than everyone else is now selling stuff for a dollar and 10% commission. It's great. You Love sound really it. petty. Love to see it. You sound very petty. It's you should so, hope that she encourages and improves herself. It's such a great full circle thing though. Like this, it's so ironic. I love it. Are you going to buy anything? No. Why not? Do I need any makeup? I don't know. Maybe. You're, getting, you're not getting any younger. That's all I'm going to say. Neither are you, John. I don't need it. I look great. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Now that we just finished with Tim's rant on his old flame that he had to just spike the ball in her face. Just how chivalrous of you. She's a listener of the show, by the way. And I'm glad everybody else is a listener of the show. Thanks for supporting our podcast. We'll talk to you guys on Wednesday. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 